You're listening to The Bridge, a podcast on stories of courage, resilience, and innovation with me, Linda Fadrizi Williams, the president of Central Penn College. Hi, and welcome to The Bridge Podcast, a show about resiliency. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Fadrizi Williams, president of Central Penn College. Central Penn is a college where our students know a thing or two about resiliency. I hear stories all the time about obstacles that they overcame just to get back into the classroom. Well, today's guest is no stranger to resiliency. Author, speaker, and real-world leader Joseph Robinson Jr. is a passionate person about helping other people identify and cultivate vital characteristics of leadership. Robinson conducts workshops and seminars on leadership topics, strategic planning, team building, and conflict resolution. Whether you lead in church or in the community, a classroom or a boardroom, there are always essentials you must know. Some might call them principles, but Robinson believes they are much more and has identified what he calls seven leadership imperatives, gleaned from the life of the biblical figure, John the Baptist. And I can't wait to talk to him about that today. In 2006, Robinson took an early retirement from his position as a senior division manager for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to focus on speaking and writing ministry to help others with the knowledge and tools they need to learn in their own world. His 26 years of public administrative experience provided him with a laboratory for implementing his seven leadership imperatives. As a deacon at his own church, the Greater Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Harrisburg, Robinson also appreciates how leadership characteristics in the secular world translate into the church and ministry setting. He knows from experience that effective leadership at all levels is essential. Included in Robinson's varied experiences is having obtained his bachelor's degree from the University of Virginia. An active member of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, Robinson also serves as executive director of the Martin Luther King Jr. Leadership Development Institute. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Joseph Robinson Jr. I'm so excited you're here on the Bridge Podcast. Oh, President Fadrizius, it's my pleasure to be here. And I hope you don't mind if I call you Linda. Please call me Linda. Oh, I, right. I prefer that. Oh, right. For our listeners, Joe Robinson Jr. is not only a leader in the community, but he's someone that's been part of the Central Penn family for a long time. You've had an impact on our students. Oh, thank you. Yes. So you were an adjunct professor here. Correct. I taught in an African-American history class here. Okay, because yeah. I remember one of my first weeks here. I don't even know if you remember this. When I was vice president... I I saw you in the hallway. You were coming in to teach a class, and you yes. introduced yourself, and I, I said, look at this engaging man. Like, I'm so glad right. he's here teaching our students. Yes, I, I think I do remember that. Well, that's, that's right. That's awesome. That's right. And you've also, you've, you've mentored our students. You've come that's in. Right. You've done programming for our students. Mm-hmm. Recently, you partnered with Leadership Harrisburg Area to provide our faculty and staff with some diversity training. That is correct. Which has also been remarkable. And you're a member of the President's Commission on Diversity and Inclusion at the college. And for the listeners, this this was a commission I organized by executive order after the George Floyd killing last year. Mm -hmm. And it was something that was on our list of things to do, but everything that happened in 2020 really accelerated these efforts. And just a little bit for our listeners about what the commission at Central Penn College does. Um, I worked with our vice president for student services and our chief diversity officer, Romeo Azondikon, who you know well. Oh, good man. And we established action steps for the college. And, And these action steps are to reinstate the annual cultural climate survey, mandate cultural competency training, increase diverse faculty and staff at the college, 
conduct a campus-wide inclusive practice departmental assessment, embed cultural competency outcomes in academic curriculum, and promote diversity engagement in programming. And I wanted to ask you, because you are, you're not just delivering these types of trainings mm-hmm. in organizations, you're part of the commission. Why is it so important that organizations are deliberate about engaging in these discussions? Oh, that's an excellent question. With anything in life, there has to be a degree of intentionality, and, mm. and we know that we've we've had these issues in our, in, in our community for some time with disparity issues, and if we're going to be serious uh, about resolving them, then we've got to be intentional. And so the fact that you took the initiative to form this commission speaks volumes about you, first of all, and oh, then certainly that. certainly about the uh, the university in in total, the, the college yeah. would, that you all would pursue this path. So I think it's important that we that we engage in these kinds of activities, and I just commend you all for that. Well, thank you, and thank you for being part of it because it does mean a lot to us. And you've already assisted us with some of the programming, but you're also also on the subgroup to really increase diverse faculty and staff. And that's something that we're really trying to do because our student population is a diverse student population. And 60% of our residential population are students of color. So can you talk a little bit about what your subgroup has discussed? Well, we've we've talked about, in fact, how how do we make the the, the organization more palatable to uh, uh, others? Others, who, how do we make this a, an institution that others want to uh, to to come and, and be a part of? And so, we're looking at uh, ways to uh, attract, looking at uh, ways to expand our reach, if you will, uh, beyond Excellent. Central Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know, I've I've often said in the meetings that. Uh, We've got to. We can. We can no longer just rely on uh, uh, Shippensburg and Bucknell and Penn State to provide the diverse faculty sure. that we're after. We've got to look to the HBCUs. Yes. Uh, they have a lot of students coming out, and 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 if we package it correctly, we'll be able to market Central Pennsylvania that they'll see us as an area worth relocating to. That's our challenge. Uh, but they are, they are out there. Often you hear the refrain. Uh, it's so hard to find. Well, I've always said, well, where are you looking? Uh, because because the, the, there's 40-some universities at least out there, you know, that, that turn, turn out black students. So are you are you going down to FAMU? Are you going to uh, 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 Savannah State? Are you going to Morgan? Are you going to uh, Virginia State? You know, you know that's that's the question. And, of course, right here in Pennsylvania with Cheney and oh, and, yeah. and, uh, and and. And not just Cheney, but also uh, Lincoln, Lincoln University. So where are we looking? And so that's what we're talking about. Let's expand our footprint and, and begin to reach outside of the Central Pennsylvania region. Uh, and, and we can find that diverse faculty that we're after. Well, that's that's exciting. That's part of why you're on this commission, to help us think differently. And that's why we wanted to have community members, that it wasn't mm-hmm. just, you know, when you're, when you're ingrained in your own college community, that's right. you think everything's normal the way that sure. you do it. And then you realize you need some other perspectives to sort of help you open your eyes and see things. So thank you for being part of that. Oh, my pleasure. I am curious, and we are going to talk about this more in the next episode. All but. Right. In these trainings that you're doing, because you're working with Una Martone, yes. who I know very well, <laughs> you're meeting a lot of people in different organizations. We are. Is there anything that has surprised you during these trainings? Anything mm. from the participant standpoints that mm. you thought, wow, that's interesting, or yeah. or you maybe see a different perspective that you mm. haven't seen before? Well, I, I don't know if I haven't seen it before. What I will say is I've been encouraged, first of all, well, by good. the fact that these organizations 
would uh, invite Una and I in to come and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's been uh, gratifying and encouraging to me. But I will say, in some instances, you're just trying to read body language, and and I'm not sure if everyone is on board yet, and that's okay. There's always yeah. going to be some, but uh, but but that's and and again, you said well, that has not surprised me no, that you, that some right. aren't on board. Right. So, uh, but but yes, but but overall, the fact that so many organizations and uh, and and I'm talking about, I'm talking about civic organizations as well as companies right. are opening their doors and saying, would you please come in and speak to our employees? That, to me, is very encouraging. And about time. And, and long overdue. <laughs> long yes, overdue. Yes, long overdue. Excellent. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to talk and learn more about you. Oh, my. Um, I want to hear about you. I want to pick your brain on some of your, your leadership <laughs> traits. Um, first, can you talk a little bit about your background? Where Where did you grow up? Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, well, first of all, I was, <laughs> I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. And uh, moved here at age seven. Uh, and uh, we were part of uh, what we call the Great Migration. You know, the Great Migration from 1870 to 1970 is when black folks were leaving the southern states okay. and moving northward and westward. And and uh, and we caught, came in on the tail end of that. Uh, 1964, we moved to Harrisburg, wow. all, all for better opportunity. My father, tired of the low wages in the south and all of that sure. and, and all the race, you know, the... Uh, uh, it's racism, but it, it was—I don't say. Well, Jim Crow. I mean, the Jim yeah. Crow laws and all yeah. that. So, it, so, so we moved. He moved, and we moved uh, for a better opportunity. So, so we were a part of that great migration. Wow! And so then I was raised here in the Harrisburg Public Schools. Okay, and, so uh, you've really grown up. Yeah, I've grown here up in here. Ha- I have. I've grown up in Harrisburg. Played basketball for the Harrisburg Cougars. Excellent. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, fact, I was captain of the team, and then I. Uh, I went down to the University of Virginia. You were an English major. English major at UVA and studied Excellent. there. Yeah, about that. And then, uh, and then came back to Harrisburg and, okay. and, and launched a career with the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. And I worked there for 26 years, uh, last serving in a senior leadership position as a chief of our performance improvement and metrics division. That was my area oh. of expertise. So wow. I, I was an American Society for Quality Controls uh, certified quality manager. Uh, and so so my thing was the TQM, total quality management. You've heard that that term before. So that's that was my area of expertise at PennDOT. And you, well, and so you... You majored in English. I majored in English. And what were you? What were you like? What made you decide well, to do? I, well, that? I'm gonna tell you. It's it's funny, um, and, and 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 I hope some of your students are listening to this because we, oftentimes we will all start down a path, sure. and realize you know that really isn't my inclination. Now I was pretty good with math and, and sciences as well, so I thought I was actually going to major in engineering when I went to UVA. I was okay. going to be a civil engineer. Yeah. English is very different than a civil very, engineer. Very different. Very different. <laughs> extremely different. Extremely different. And so, uh, but I was always uh, enjoyed writing. I was always a decent writer in high school, and, and it got better, obviously, in college. And so that was an opportunity when I, when I said to change majors, that was more of a natural fit for me. I sure. kind of went back to what I was naturally uh, more gifted at. And, 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 uh, and so that's what I, I pursued as a degree. But I say this to the students. So many times you can go down a path. And if you don't listen to your true core, yeah. you could end up completing a degree, working in a field that drives you crazy yeah. that you don't really want to belong in. It's really and so, true. so if you got to get up in the morning, it ought to be somewhere you really want to be. And so I say to students, 
Uh, I, I talk about it in my book. I talk about you have to adjust your auditory filters and tune out all those extraneous yeah. noises that keep you from your true calling. And uh, and so uh, so I had to uh, learn that lesson, and uh, and and I've been the better for it. In fact, so uh, it was a wonderful experience, and uh, the degree has served me well. And that's you know that's one of those degrees you hear about English. It's the same with me with communication. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will ask me about being a college president and what prepared me the most and was it my doctorate of education and I said the ability to talk to people (laughs) oh my goodness gracious and interpersonal relationships that's right that's right that's probably the most important lesson I learned one one of the stories I had as a as a as a first year student in this engineering curriculum I had to take a technical writing course and oh uh, yes and the technical writing course I didn't I I, the, the professor Rather than fail me, he said, I'm going to give you an incomplete. And what you do is you come back next semester, and I'm going to assign a tutor. And oh. I want you to submit just a small three-page paper for me every week, all next semester, to hone your writing skills. Wow. And, uh, and, then, and, then, uh, and then I subsequently passed the course. But that was a pivotal moment. Absolutely. Because he could have jettisoned me to the side but he said no I, I see some promise and he gave me an opportunity and and so when I finally now later in life 2008 when I wrote my book I was able to reach back and find him and send him a copy of it really? and he gave me a wonderful review of the book and talked oh. about how much he enjoyed reading the book and and I said well it's all because of you Dr. Meese you gave me an opportunity you saw what a great story yes 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 you know it's amazing when you think about people like that in your life That's that right. have that kind of influence That's and right. and there are people that can have a really detrimental influence oh, too my. I had some of those too at UVA did you <laughs> and did they did they fuel you uh-huh. or did you yeah. or did you doubt yourself a little oh, bit oh yeah a lot a lot of that. I had one one professor. It was so it was so. Uh, uh, one of my English professors. He said uh, he 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 just bled all over one of my papers, and then he even wrote in the margin. He said, "Can you really not think any deeper than this?" Oh, and I thought, "Oh boy. God, that's that's demoralizing." So, uh, but I learned from the process. So it, it, it was all a part of my growth process. But yes, but that contrasted with the uh, uh, professor George Meese, who was able to uh, really see some value in me and. And give me an opportunity to uh, really, really uh, rise to my potential. I'm ever for, forever indebted to him, and I was so gratified to be able to find That's him. Amazing, you know, for 30, 40 years later, and reach out to him, and for him to see that uh, that investment he made in me uh, uh, paid dividends, and he was pleased as well. I'm so. sure he was very proud. <laughs> that's that's the kind of stories that professors live for. That's, that's why that's why they do what they do. That's right. We will continue our interview in a moment, but first, looking to invest in yourself in 2021? Have you been dreaming about starting that business or side hustle where you call the shots? Central Penn College has a new program designed with a fitness entrepreneur in mind. Our new personal training certificate will teach you the science, nutrition, and anatomy behind helping others achieve their fitness goals. The 10-week program prepares you to earn a nationally recognized certification in personal training. The program is fully online and accessible from anywhere. Payment plans are available. Learn more at centralpen.edu slash PTC. 
So let's talk a little bit about um, some training and leadership development. Sure. The, the position that you were in mm-hmm. with PennDOT. Yes. Did that prepare you for some of the, the leadership and the training oh, opportunities? Ab- absolutely. A uh, lot of training. My, my division, not only was it performance improvement, but it was the whole continuous improvement piece. Of, so we were doing all the employee uh, creative problem oh, solving, so you team facilitation. Employees. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, all okay. 12,000. So we went through all of Holy that. Holy cow. So, yeah, so we had a tremendous training initiative going. So we uh, so so that uh, all the department strategic planning, you know, uh, facilitating the strategic planning sessions for the for the executive team and all. So all of that uh, is what uh, began to mold and shape me. And then I had a wonderful mentor also, uh, my boss. Uh, he's deceased now, the, the late Richard H. Harris Jr. He was my mentor, a tremendous uh-huh. uh, blessing in my life, and he really uh, brought me along and, uh, and and was and was a blessing to my life. And uh, so I'm still in touch with his family, but uh, he's gone. But he was a he made a tremendous impact on my life, you know. And I'm sure that you do that with a lot of people that you come in contact with. It's probably why you're a servant leader the way you are, <laughs> well, is because of the people that have had an influence on you. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I, I say to people, I heard it said once, and you probably heard this before, Linda, they said that even if you see a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, you can be assured it didn't get there by itself. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Actually, I've never heard that before. But I but I like that. That's right. Um, in your in your leadership training experience at Penda, and then we'll talk some about All about right. your specific initiatives okay. and, and your your tenants. Right. Um, what was the most needed training? What was the training that you found you had to facilitate the okay. most? Well, one of the things we did at, at PennDOT, we, we put a lot of emphasis on creative problem solving. Mm. And what we did was uh, introduce to the department a standardized process for attacking problems. Really? We had a six-step creative problem-solving process. Uh, as Dr. Charles Kettering used to say, uh, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. So you have to, first of all, be clear on what is the problem and not, yes. a, not a symptom or a cause. And so through this six-step process, we trained all of our employees to be able to drill down and understand what the true problem is, what are the root causes, and then identify the, uh, potential solutions and implementation strategies. That was all a part of the six steps. And we implemented that department-wide. Wow. And uh, it was such so gratifying for me because I had one of a, uh, one of the engineers, and, you know, engineers, they just want to get right to it because oh, yeah. they're all bright and they just want to yep. solve the problem. And, well, he, uh, one of the engineers came to me one day and said, Joe, I was at this national meeting, and I was on this team, and, and we were tr- working through this issue, and we were just all over the place. And he says, and I kept saying, why aren't we using a process? Because he wasn't a he wasn't necessarily a believer. <laughs> Until but then, he uh, saw. Then he said, now nah, I yeah. know why we use a process, you know. What so. what a great <laughs> training. I, I you know, we talk to employers all the time, a lot of businesses and organizations where our students intern or where we're trying to get job placements. And uh, one of their biggest complaints, uh-huh. not about our students. Sure. So we're saying, what kind of training do you want for your employees? Right. It's problem solving uh-huh. because right. they're they don't want to just hear what the problems are. That's right. They want employees to be able to bring some solutions. That's right. So that's that's, right. that's really interesting. Um, we may have to talk what you're doing next week to see if you can come <laughs> in and give that training to our employees because I I know that a lot of us uh, you're right. It's identifying what the problem yeah, is, not just the that's, symptoms. That's the key. That's the key. Great, great that's piece of advice. Um, I do want to talk about your early retirement because yes. you retired after 26 years. I think you were. 
were you in your mid forties? I, I think I was probably about forty-eight or nine, something yeah, like that's that. Yes, really yes. young. I know. So I know. I know you're a strategic planner. You and I have that love in common. Like that's there are right. some people that thrive on it. One of our that's vice right. presidents here, he oh, also okay. loves it, right? So it's right. we're people that like to plan. So you that's must right. have had some kind of plan. Um, uh, the the only plan I had was to uh, to was to was to, uh, to to write my book, which I did, and and, and to be go into consultancy and began to do some of the same kind of training uh, that I'd done for the department uh, to other entities. That was my intention. Okay, it didn't work that way because <laughs> I ended up uh, violating one of my own leadership imperatives. What did you do? Uh, uh, my, uh, you, we're going to talk about this at some point, whether now or the <laughs> next time I know, but we're going to talk about my seven leadership oh, imperatives. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, well, the second imperative says that you have to be focused and uh, and, and and not allow <laughs> extraneous things to take you off your square and your, and your direction. Mm. And I did. Uh, and so what I ended up doing, now it was a rewarding experience, let me tell you this. <laughs> Because I ended up taking a position with the uh, South Central Pennsylvania Sickle Cell Council. I wondered how you did that after you retired. Yes, I retired. I wrote the book. I started doing training. I started giving giving presentations. And then the council, the, 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 the founder, uh, who was a good friend, approached me about uh, coming aboard and just helping them stabilize because they had separated from their director. Okay. So they said, well, just come in for a year or so. And, oh, you know. no, that doesn't work. So 11, you just 11, 11, and, a, 11 and a half years later, you know. <laughs> oh, man. You know, so, oh, so, so, you so, so there's a case where, again, I didn't follow my old advice. <laughs> and, and so that's how I ended up. But my plan was to cultivate the whole uh, consultancy. and et cetera. But you know what? In retrospect, that was the best thing for me, working those 11 and a half years with Sickle Cell. Why? Because, one, a nonprofit, as I quickly learned, is a misnomer. You better have some profit. So, yeah. so, uh, yeah. so I learned uh, what, it w- what it would take, essentially, to run a business. Right. And that gave me a different perspective because if I'm going to try and coach and advise uh, CEOs, et cetera, yeah. I need to understand – the, the pressure you feel with trying to meet payroll, trying to keep an organization solvent. Well, I didn't have that experience having worked 26 years in state government. Interesting. So it gave me a different perspective now. So now when I engage people, I have more awareness, more empathy, more insight now to share. It's amazing how things like that happen for a reason. It prepares <laughs> you for all the things you want to do. That's right. That's um, right. And I do, you know, I say you're retired, but really, <laughs> you really just sort of retired yeah, recently. Right. That's right. Um, That's and right. also, you're the executive director of the Martin Luther King Jr. Leadership Institute. That's correct. Can you talk a little bit about that organization sure. and what you do there? I'd love to talk about that. That organization was founded uh, back in 2008. We graduated our first class in 2009. And, and what that institute does, we train community leaders in the tenets of Dr. King, and we put them through not only understanding his principles and tenets, but we also talk to them about public policy. How is it made? Mm. Who does? Who did? Who who drives it? How how is it? Uh, we talk about uh, how to mobilize your community. So we talk about building coalitions. We talk about how do you pull people together and mobilize around an issue. What are some of the strategies you can use if you're about because we're all about. Ultimately, going back after you finish their training, going back yeah. and making a difference in the community. Right. And that means you've got to now, when you finish our training, you leave here armed with some new knowledge uh, or some reinforced knowledge if you already had some some understanding. But then you also leave with some other allies who had a similar experience 
and now they understand your your commitment to improving the uh, conditions in your community. And so now you have some allies as well. And so that's what we endeavor to do. So yeah. we've had like uh, nine classes. We just finished our last wow. class, and uh, and I'm just excited about that. And we're looking to start another class, but. Uh, it's a tuition-based program, small, modest I was tuition. Ask you that. And tuition. how do people do, do? People just if they're interested, can they contact you? They, do they have to be nominated? How no, no. They just have to contact us. They can either obviously pay the fee themselves, or their employer can pay the fee. And again, okay. it's very nominal. And then also, we attract and, and are interested in people who fundamentally want to make a difference in the community. Yeah, that's all we really require. You can come with a GED or a PhD. And we have them all in the room at the same time, it's all great. every class. It's great. Black, white, Asian, Christian, Muslim, atheist, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. We're all in the room together. For a common uh, purpose. For a common purpose. And so and we and we never allow the tuition, as modest as it is, to be a barrier. Okay. So we make we find a way if if someone absolutely cannot cannot afford it. And so that's that's our intent. We're here we're here to try to and make the community better. That's amazing. And so what we'll make sure we do is that we'll incorporate your contact information or the Institute's contact information for anyone who's interested. Excellent. Appreciate that. Wonderful. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of The Bridge with Mr. Joseph Robinson, Jr. Make sure you tune into the next episode where we discuss leadership principles and real-world applicable steps to improve diversity and inclusion efforts in your organizations. Take care. Today's episode of The Bridge is brought to you by Central Penn College. Central Penn College offers career-focused programs that enable our students to transform their lives by landing jobs in their chosen profession. To learn more about investing in your career with Central Penn, visit us at www.centralpenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bridge, hosted by Central Penn College President Linda Fadrizi-Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a great rating on your favorite podcast service. The Bridge is available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes of The Bridge, stories of resilience, courage, and innovation with Dr. Linda Fadrizi-Williams. We'll see you next time. <laughs>